0: Jesus Christ is risen. That's a fact. Amen. That's word right there. Jesus is risen. That's what I'm waiting for. He is risen indeed. What a glorious celebration. Amen. I mean, I tell you what. If you're not in Christ, you have no hope. So take heed today. Listen very carefully today because if you don't know Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope outside of yourself. And I say that in love because Easter truly is the celebration of the death of death. Christ conquered death. Christ conquered sin. Christ conquered Satan. Christ conquered the curse. And for the true Christian, Every Sunday is really Easter Sunday. I mean, the reason we meet on the first day of the week, the reason Christians meet on Sunday is that's the day in which Christ was resurrected from the dead. It's the first day of the week. It's the day we corporately join together, sinners, saved by grace, to celebrate the fact that Christ is the conquering King. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So although this is on the calendar as Easter Sunday, for the true believer, every Sunday, actually, every day is Resurrection Day. Amen? Every day is the resurrection celebration in the, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the very capstone of our faith. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, he'd have been a fraud. Jesus is the Christ. He's the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied about who the Christ would be, where he would be born, where he would live, what his earthly ministry would look like, how he would die, and how he would raise from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. That's word. Historical fact. If Jesus Christ had not risen, Christians would be the most, path- most pathetic people around. We'd be meeting on Sundays for Nothing we be living lives now for nothing. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most pitiable. Are you a pitiable man or woman here today? Not if you're in Christ because he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.32, Paul talks in context here about how he suffered for the namesake of Jesus Christ, how he suffered on earth for proclaiming the gospel, and there was wild beasts set upon him to destroy him. And he said, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now many people... Throughout our great land, we'll check into churches today throughout the land. Longing to gain some false sense of assurance. Deception, really, that they have some type of fire insurance to keep them out of hell. Beware, no such policy exists. There's many people who come to church on Christmas and Easter. Those are the Christers, Christmas, Easter. If you are such, we welcome you truly with the love of Jesus Christ today. But many people are looking for something that they don't have, and deep down they realize they don't have it. But right next to the two-time-a-year attendee, is someone that perhaps could be sitting in the same pew, the same chair, week after week after week after week, and their end could be the same as the one who shows up twice a year if those two do not have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Their destruction will be the same. Their end, (coughs) the same. Whether people are in church today or not, they all share one aspect of accurate knowledge. Everyone in this room has the same knowledge that's accurate. You will die. You will die. The moment you come out of the womb, you begin to die. The moment you come into this earth, you get closer and closer and closer to death. You will die. You're destined to die. If. Someone doesn't have a true saving relationship with Jesus Christ, death is man's greatest fear. I've looked into the eyes of bold professing atheists on their deathbed, and there is an element of the unknown in their eyes. I don't care how bad or tough they think they are in boasting against God, there's an element of fear in their eyes. I've seen it. Fear of the unknown. They're gonna die. But this physical death. Is not the end. It's much, much, much more serious than that. Because it's followed by judgment. So, our text today is Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 27 and 28. And those two verses declare for us, define for us, what death and judgment are. Now, some of you sit here, wait a minute. This is Easter Sunday, bud. I was here to hear a story about the glistening dew on the ground and the sun shining upon an empty tomb. A dove cooing in the background and Jesus loving everybody. Right? Where's the hope? Isn't this church called Pacific Hope? Where's the hope here? But you cannot discuss the hope of afterlife resurrection without making clear the reality of death and you cannot speak about death without making clear the certainty of judgment. I'd be lying to you if I told you anything else. I'd be a liar, false prophet, false teacher, if I patted you on the back and said you're right with God without declaring the true gospel message of Jesus Christ this morning. No pat on the back this morning. So my hope this morning is that the reality of death and judgment is revealed through the word of God and not man's fixed imagination that the truth of the living word of God will drive you, if you do not know Jesus Christ today, to your knees in repentance. To gain and grasp the hope of everlasting life. And if you do know Jesus Christ, hopefully the message today, the truth of the living word of God, will produce in you a more worshipful life, more worshipful life. Living in response to what he did on that day, the punishment that he suffered. So, what we'll discuss this morning is the reason for our death, the reason for his death, the power of his resurrection, and the cause of ours. Everyone will rise from the dead. There'll be a resurrection into everlasting torment, where Jesus said there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then there's a judgment, or a resurrection rather, for those who will be. Resurrected for everlasting joy in the presence of Almighty God. Two destinies. Nothing in between. There's no such thing as purgatory. That's non biblical. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's appointed unto man, which we will see, verse 27, once to die. As it says, the word of the living God, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your glorious, everlasting, spoken word. I thank you for the glorious gospel of your son Jesus Christ. I thank you for the resurrection and I thank you for resurrection power and ask for resurrection power to boldly proclaim your loving gospel message this morning. God, I pray that I would be out of the way and that you would be exalted, that your truth would be exalted, that your truth would be proclaimed this morning with clarity by your power for your glory. And I pray for any person who is a dead soul in here this morning, that you'd raise them from spiritual deadness and breathe spiritual life into them by lifting the veil of unbelief, breaking them in spirit, bringing them to true repentance. I pray these things by your grace and all for your glory. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Now, what we're going to look at this morning is a threefold testimony that's made here in these two verses, and it's the uniqueness and the sufficiency of the atonement of Jesus Christ. First thing we'll look at is man's death, the death of man. We'll also look at its contrast to Christ's death. Second, we'll look at the great declaration that is made why Christ died. And then, thirdly, The ultimate outcome, Christ's divine work in defeating death. The divine work of Jesus Christ in conquering death. First, let's look at the certainty of man's death. And then it's contrast to Christ. Notice the sentence structure here. It's pointed out by the words as and so. Making a reference to that which is done only once. Verse 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once... Now look at verse twenty-eight. So Christ also was offered once. So here we see a link made to the one death that people die and the one death that Christ died. There's finality in both deaths, but with very, very different consequences. So the comparison made is made with something that we do—that's die—and later come into judgment as human beings. And then there's something that Christ did, which is to die and later to come to save His elect, His chosen believers from judgment. So we die and face judgment. He died and protects from judgment. But first, man's death, for it is appointed to men, once to die. This, this appointment is a, is a penal appointment. It's a punishing appointment. Punitive damages have incurred here must be paid payment must be rendered so this is the sentence this is the curse of the broken law of Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 where God himself said to Adam of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die so death comes in two parts physical death spiritual death or judgment Physical death and a judgmental, spiritual death. Part one is physical. Look at that first. This is one aspect of accurate knowledge that mankind shares. I haven't met a person yet that said they'll never die. I don't care how much positive thinking they may have with the secret. (laughs) Right? Job knew this in chapter 14, verse 5. Since man's days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You, O God, have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. No one passes death. In Job 30, verse 23, for I know that you will bring me to death. It's the oldest written document known to man, the book of Job. In Psalm 89, verse 48, what can man, what man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So you were appointed a birthday, and you were appointed a death day. And who who made this appointment? You didn't make it. God made this appointment. God made the appointment of your birth and the appointment of your death. When Adam and Eve sinned, human death entered the world, and God appointed the curse of death to every one of Adam and Eve's human relatives. We suffer that today. The consequence of their sin is death. The reason you'll die is because you have a nature that is sinful. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. You're either a sinner saved by grace or you're a sinner that will pay for your own punishment in the end. One of two camps. There's nothing in between. God made this appointment. God appointed the curse of death for every human being. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Through one man, one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Not only did they reap death, not only did you and I reap death as a consequence of the first sin, we also reaped a sin nature. Right? The reason you sin is because you're a sinner. We just naturally do that really good, amen? We all sin really good. Really good. God warned it would happen. He brought it to pass. God's word will be upheld. He said there be death, there is death. Death is not the result of chance. Death is not the result of some physiological law. Death is a consequence of sin. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. We'll see in a little while. If you think you're good enough to enter heaven, if you say, well, I'm a good person, you're deceiving yourself. Please, no longer be deceived. Hear the words of the living God today. We all die once. There's been some exceptions throughout time. Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God, and God took him up. He took him. Elijah was a man of God, a sinner saved by grace, and he went up to heaven in a fire a chariot of fire. Lazarus walked with Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. He died. Jesus rose him from the dead, but he went on to die again, so he got to die twice. There was a group of people that were already in the ground and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only raised Him, but raised them too. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had died were raised. Coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine Aunt Sally raising from the dead? (laughs) Walking into your kitchen? And she'd been down a while? Imagine that. That's the power of the resurrection. Now, outside of these divinely orchestrated lives, these events, it is but once you will physically die. Physical death is inevitable. You have an appointment with it. And it will be kept. You will not die before that appointed time, and you will not die after that appointed time. You will die on that appointed day, period. Part two of death, the second appointment that you will face, is eternal judgment. Physical death, and then judgment. Verse 27 As it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. So by the same fixed law, judgment is appointed to all. You are appointed, judgment. Acts 17.30 Now God commands all men everywhere to repent. Because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom God has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead that proof is in the pudding and the pudding is the resurrection <laughs> the fulfillment of the assurance of justice is the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ the holiness of God now a lot of people think they're good Is you share the gospel with people you'll ask them hey do you believe in heaven and hell well sure I do if you died today would you go to heaven well sure why well I'm a good person I don't care how good a person thinks they are, they will face the same judgment. And it's typical of one who thinks that they're good enough in and of themselves to face a holy God. Those are the most deceived people there are. They're absolutely blinded and deceived. Imagine if there was a memory card in your head that you could literally pull out pull it out of the side of your temple, slap it in the laptop up there in the sound booth, and we could play out for you on this screen behind me every thought that you've ever had in your entire life, and everyone filled the room with all the people that you've had the thoughts against. Think about that for a moment. Every perverted, twisted, murderous, lustful, angry, hateful thought you've ever had played out for the world to see. How much shame would there be? We would all be shamed. It would be an absolute embarrassment. That's how God sees you. If you're a person who thinks they're good, remember that illustration. That's how Almighty God sees individuals. He sees the motives and the intent of the heart. That's the standard. You have to be perfect to get to heaven, not just in behavior, but in action, reaction, thoughts, motives. They have to be perfect. Sinless. That's how you get to heaven. Outside of Jesus Christ. But there's plenty of people who think they're good, and the Holy Spirit, through the writing of His apostles, also knew that there's people who think they're good. So God describes in Romans chapter 1. You can just listen to this. You can look at it if you want. In verse 29, he talks about these very immoral people. He says, they're filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. They're full of envy. They're full of murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. They're violent. They're proud. They're boasters. They're inventors of evil things. They're disobedient to parents. They're Undiscerning, they're untrustworthy, they're unloving, they're unforgiving, they're unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, there's a group of people that will look at that and go, Yeah, they are messed up. So, Paul goes on, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O oh man, whoever you are who judge. For when whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. And he's saying, look, if you're able to judge that group of people and know that what they're doing is wrong and sinful, you're guilty because you know what's wrong. If you can judge that, you've been, you have a conscious understanding of what's evil. See, this is the group of people that they judge adultery as, lo- as wrong, but they've already committed it in their hearts, at least. This is a group of people that judge those who bro- do breaking and entering, grand theft, but they've committed stealing things that don't belong to them as well. They know that murder is wrong, but they have hate equivalent to murder in their hearts, said Jesus. They know God exists, but they worship themselves, or they worship money, or they worship their job, or they worship something. They're guilty. Romans 2 verse 5 says goes on to say but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So because they refuse to re- repent and accept Jesus Christ as who He is and they continue in this mindset to think that they're good enough this is what they're doing. They're storing up, building up, layer upon layer of greater judgment and wrath on the day of judgment because they know. This is a major warning for those who sit under the teaching of scripture or have sat under the teaching of scripture for years and haven't repented and submitted their life to Jesus Christ. You're storing up yourself, treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath more and more judgment. The more you know, the more you're accountable for. That's the danger with these people who roll into Easter and roll into Christmas and they never repent. They're storing up for themselves wrath. You're better off not coming. But I urge you to repent. I urge you to repent. So the more knowledge one faces God with on this day, the greater punishment it will entail. See, intellectually agreeing with who Christ is and what He's done Believing historically, yes, Jesus is the Christ. Believing historically, yes, He atoned for the sins of all who would believe. Believing historically that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Believing that Jesus is who He proclaimed to be, the way, the truth, and the life. Just intellectual assent to that truth is not belief. That's not belief. It will entail a greater level of torment because you know more. Think about Judas Iscariot. He walked with Jesus for three years in his ministry. You know what Jesus said about Judas? It would have been better if that man had never been born. He's the son of perdition. He's the son of destruction. He's the son of hell. He's a vessel of wrath. He was there with the very fulfillment of all truth, the centerpiece of all time. And he's suffering in the deepest pit of hell at this very moment. The son of perdition. That name is used for, that title is used for Judas Iscariot and the Antichrist which is to come. Son of perdition. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, in a parable, he said, That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. Two groups, both deserving of judgment. The one who knew more would receive more stripes, deeper wrath. For everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required. The more knowledge, the greater the punishment. Beware if you've been sitting in church for years and you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. This is for you. In Mark chapter 12, verse 38, Jesus said this, Of the religious leaders of his day, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes they love greetings in the marketplaces the best seats in the synagogues and for a pretense they make long prayers these will receive greater condemnation the un- this is the unconverted religious person they know all the right phrases they know all the right prayers they know what bible study meets where they have the biggest bible in the group they say hallelujah and amen but their suffering will be greater They're unconverted. They're uncommitted and submitted to the one who came, which we'll see in a minute, to bear the sins of those who will believe. Paul goes on in Romans 2, in verse 15, he says, "...they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel." See, what this reveals is the very law of God that's inscribed within every human being's heart. The fact that someone looks left and looks right before they do something wrong bears witness of the fact that it's the the law of God written on the conscience. The fact that they know what is evil, the fact that they know that doing good deeds is the right thing to do, shows the law of God written in the heart. But on this day of judgment, the fiery eyes of Jesus Christ will look through every motive. He will penetrate and lay wide open your entire life and the motives behind everything that one has done outside of Jesus Christ just let naked and bare. Be nothing to hide. Be nothing to hide no matter how religious or how often you go to church. This is the truth that the, Hebrew, the, the writer of Hebrews wants to declare. This is what he's pounding. This is what he's urging these people to believe, to awaken from their spiritual stupor, their spiritual coma, their religious, their religiosity. That's what he wants to make clear. You know, m- most people think very little about what really matters and a lo- whole lot about what doesn't. God inflicting damnation after death, there's no more terrifying scene in the universe than that. And it's going to happen. Justice will be paid, brothers and sisters. If you're in Christ, I call you brother and sister, you won't pay that punishment. If you're not in Christ, you will pay that punishment. To meet death with a holy, angry, wrathful God, it's frightening. That is frightening to behold. And the more one Christian sees it like that, the more driven they'll be to speak the truth, the true gospel. Not the fluff gospel. You're not hearing the fluff gospel today, right? This is the true gospel. This is the biblical gospel. Fearful vision. In Hebrews, does not leave us in wonder about what this looks like because chapter 10, look at verse 27. It says, There is coming a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries, which is enemies. Anyone who's not in Christ is an enemy of God. Anyone who's not a true born-again believer is an enemy of God. And the wrath of God will be unleashed on the adversaries of God. No matter what they say. A said faith is no faith, unless it's a real faith. Three verses later, verse 30, chapter 10, we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. So when our text says that we have an appointment with death and after death, judgment, it means that it will be a terrifying, furious fire of God's unleashed wrath. Divine vengeance. Even on those, check this out, who proclaim with their mouth that Jesus is their Lord. If their life does not demonstrate a life of someone who really knows Christ, their faith is a said faith and their faith is no faith at all. It's a dead faith. Faith without works is? Dead. So, it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. Point number two, the declaration as to why Christ died. Why Christ died. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Verse 28, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins... Of many of many we'll see who the many are at the end of the verse but the main thing to see here is that the death of Jesus Christ bears sins the death of Christ bears sins this is the heart of Christianity this is the heart of the gospel you know what gospel means good news I just spent 20 minutes telling you the bad That's why this is so good news, brothers and sisters. People who callously sleep through the bad news in spirit or physically, look out. This is the gospel. Jesus bore the sin. This is the heart of God's great work of redemption in the world. It's His work. It's a divine work. It's His initiating work. That he planned for his son, the Holy One, to become a human being and to bear the sins of sinners. That is heavy. And if you're in Christ, he's delivered you not only from the penalty of eternal torment, but he's also delivered you from the power of sin. You're no longer enslaved to it. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. Set free. And this curse is passed on to all of Adam's descendants, as we read earlier, Matthew, or Romans 5, verse 12. So death spread to all men because all sinned. See, all men are viewed by God as criminals, sinners, deserving of everlasting torment. They've broken the perfect law of love. That's the Ten Commandments. To love God perfectly, to love other human beings. Perfectly. That's why Jesus said you can hang the law and the prophet on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. To love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to perfectly fulfill the first four commandments. To love your neighbor as yourself is to fulfill the last six perfectly. Who can fulfill that law? Anybody? Because if anyone can, then you're Jesus. Nobody can. Nobody can. It's an impossibility. Therefore, Christ was appointed the sentence by God the Father, who's the judge of all. He was appointed the wrath. God is holy. Justice will be unleashed. See, this is the ultimate act of love. Laying down one's life for his what? Friends, this is the ultimate act of love. Sacrifice. Holy sacrifice. Jesus would undergo the curse of the law on the cross. And He, as though He he had broken the law. He upheld the law perfectly. That's why He came. But God unleashed His wrath upon His Son as though Jesus committed every sin of every sinner who would eventually believe. That's what He suffered. He he, he underwent the curse of the law. And that's the curse. Death. Death. But Christ was only offered how many times? Once. He was offered once to bear the sins of many. Now, to bear sin here, we see this throughout the Old Testament, what it means is to bear the penalty of sin. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Jesus, who Himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. If you're in Christ, he took your stripes. He took your punishment. And you're healed from the torment that is due you. Christ bore these sins. He took sins that were not his own. He didn't sin. He couldn't sin because he was God perfect sacrifice he's the only one that could meet the standard he suffered the ultimate consequence here notice verse 26 look at the last line he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself so verse 28 he bore the sins of many he bore the sins of many where verse 26 tells us that the effect was he put sin away he bore the sins so he could put it away done It's put away See, sin is as much as what you haven't done as it is what you have done, okay? Actually, it's more. What you do is just a product of what you are, a sinner. But what you haven't done is met this perfect holy standard of God, you see? It's like the Ten Commandments we said earlier. You have to look at them and uphold them perfectly. Who can do that? Nobody. That's why the Ten Commandments is nothing but a mirror to reveal to you and to reveal to me that we are wretched, rotten sinners, it, it, it's to look at that and go, I can't do it. God have mercy, I can't do it. To fall on your face. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Christ already upheld it. You can't uphold it. All that is is a mirror to show you, you can't do it. You went to the mirror this morning, amen? Right? You woke up. Most of you not looking too good. I know I never look good when I wake up. I don't look good now, but I don't look good really when I wake up. And the mirror re- revealed to me what I needed to fix, which was a lot of stuff. Thank you. Thank you for that affirmation. That mirror could not comb my hair. That mirror could not brush my teeth. That mirror could not wash my face. That mirror couldn't make me smell fresh. All it did was reveal what I was. The law reveals what you are. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ upheld the law. And Christ died the curse of the law. He took it. He bore the sin. The penalty of it. He bore the penalty. The question is, do you know Jesus Christ in a real and an evident way today? On this Easter Sunday, do you truly know Jesus Christ? Have you sat in church all your life thinking you know Him when you don't? If you continue to sit under teaching of the Word of God, you will become hardened into unbelief. This is the answer to the greatest problem in your life. Whether or not you feel this is the core of the problem, this is the core of the problem. You don't know God. Humble thyself in the sight of the holy God of the universe. Humble yourself and fall at the foot of the cross, the one who upheld the law perfectly, the one who bore your sin. You'll never be able to make payment for your sin. There's only two ways that payment of sin can be upheld. You can die and be cast into outer darkness and suffer the consequence of your sin. That's one way. Or the second way is the death of a holy substitutionary sacrifice. That's it. Die for your own sin or accept the holy substitutionary sacrifice. That's what Christ did. He bore the sin as a substitute for those who will believe. And then we who believe, what do we get in return? All of His righteousness. That's why God sees you Christians is perfectly righteous because the righteousness that's been attributed to you is the imputed righteousness of Christ placed upon your account. You've been accredited Righteousness. If you're not in Christ, you have no righteousness of your own, you are not good enough, and you will pay the price, death and then judgment. What a great Easter message, eh, amen? That is an Easter message. That's the hope. That's the good news. You can never work... If you look at life as a scale like this and you say, well, man, i got a bunch of bad stuff I did until I was 18, 20, 30 years old. Now it's time for me to balance things out. You're done. You can never do it. You will never do it. You've already failed. This is the punishment that Christ bore. The sins of those who would believe. He came to die once, offered once to bear the sins of what? Many. Notice it doesn't say every human being, it says many. Many. That leads us to point number three, the ultimate outcome. The ultimate outcome. Notice this next phrase. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. You know why He's going to reappear? because he was raised from the dead and he ascended he ascended into heaven he's going to reappear only to a certain group of people though now every eye eventually will see him but the context here is clear there's two great truths here one is that the first coming of Christ and the offering of Himself to bear the sins of many was completely sufficient. There's nothing to be added to it. Jesus hanged on that cross. He took His last breath and He said, it is finished. It's finished. Full, atoning, sufficient work of Jesus Christ. This is why it says He will appear a second time, but apart from sin. The first time he became sin, this time he's coming back apart from sin, you see. See, he came the first time to deal with sin. He came to put sin away. That's done. That's the beauty of the gospel. The guilt of the true believer is removed. It's put away. Isaiah 118 says this, Hundred year, written hundreds of years prior, to the coming of Jesus Christ it says this come now let us reason together I'm trying to reason with you today if you don't know Jesus Christ come now let us reason together says the Lord though your skins your sins are as scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall be as wool all of us who are sinners saved by grace all Christ sees when he looks at you all God the Father sees when he looks at you is pure holiness Because of the righteousness of Jesus that covers you. If you're not in Christ, you're cloaked in a dirty, filthy garment of sin. The Bible calls it a garment covered with excrement, actually. Biblical terminology. Any good works that man attempts to do on his own are like filthy rags, the Bible says. Jesus' last words it is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up the Spirit. And this great salvation happened. It's done. It cannot be improved upon. He's coming the second time not to suffer, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. He's not coming to suffer again. He's coming to judge. So that leads us to the second great truth. We must face judgment. That's a law of Almighty God. We must face judgment. So Christ comes a second time for us who are in Christ to protect us from the wrath that is due. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for Him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For salvation. That's what it means in verse 28 when He he shall appear a second time for salvation. This is not an addition to salvation. It's very important. This is not something that's to be added to salvation. Here it is. This is the fulfillment or the application of salvation. The application of your salvation, the ultimate fulfillment of the finished work of Christ is protection from the wrath of God which is to come. He took it. This is what Christ purchased in His death. Our future, our glory, your protection from His wrath. God's wrath must be satisfied. And if you're in Christ, it's been satisfied. It's been satisfied. The application of the truth is this covering of protection. Hebrews 10.27 says, this is, it's the covering from this, a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries that's the protection First Thessalonians 1 verse 10 it is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to come Jesus is the only one to deliver us from the wrath to come see Christ took upon himself the sins of many the sins of many in John or Mark rather, chapter 10 verse 45 Jesus said for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for for many for many see the many in whom he came to die for are the many who eagerly wait for him the many in whom Jesus Christ came to die for are the many who are eagerly waiting for his return they're waiting to for him to appear You know why they'll be waiting? You know why they're waiting? Because they're truly His. They're truly His. See, Jesus was to bear the sins of all who had been given to Him by the Father from eternity past. That's why Jesus said this in John 17. Father, this is crucifixion time. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given authority over all flesh, Him, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. God the Father gave the ones who are the many to Christ. In John 17 verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the whole world, but for those whom you have given Me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. The many are his elect. This is Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. To himself the death of Christ on the cross it was an absolute success Jesus' death on the cross was not a failure in any way so all who Jesus died for will be saved that's what the Bible teaches all in whom Christ was crucified for will be saved so who are the many? the many are those who eagerly wait for him those whose sins are forgiven that's who the many are these are the ones who understand the price that was paid. These are the ones who live it with, with a life of gratitude, a life of thanksgiving, a life in response to the cross on their behalf. This is a life that reflects forgiveness. How many people walk around, hey, I'm, I'm forgiven. But in no way does their life reflect someone who's forgiven. They look like a pagan. They live like a pagan. They talk like a pagan. They look like the world. They act like the world they still think they're a good person they have a sensitivity and a sorrow over their sin we still sin amen but there's a conviction is there not godly sorrow produces repentance which is not to be regretted see this is not some work check this out this is not a work for salvation this is a product of salvation this is evidence of saving faith someone who is waiting and watching anticipating to see their Lord and Savior that's the proof eager expectation is simply a sign to those who possess authentic faith there is a fake faith there is a phony faith and there is a faith that simply wants to escape from hell but has no desire for Jesus Christ There are those who want to escape the torment of hell, but they don't desire Christ. They don't want Christ. Although they say they do. They say they have Him, but they don't. That's simply a said faith. That's a dead faith. That's no faith at all. That kind of faith doesn't save because it's not true faith. An outward said faith does not produce an eager expectation for Christ's return. It wants to live and get all it can out of this world now doesn't want to see Christ. They're not one of the many. They want to get all they can out of this world. But faith that embraces Jesus Christ as a gift, as a hope, as a joy, has a desire for Him to come. Because there's a relationship there. When I used to go to work, and my kids were young, they would anticipate my arrival at home, not the neighbor. They didn't go running into the arms of the neighbor. When he pulled in his driveway, they came to their dad. They were waiting for me to come home. Sometimes because I had Skittles. (laughs) I had the gift. But they were waiting for their papa. Those who are Christ are waiting for him because they know him. They're in him. It is to them... That verse 28 appears, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That's who he appears to. He's going to appear to the many. To these, the many, he will appear a second time. So this appear must be interpreted in the in the context of the passage here. So the word for appear here is not the one that's commonly used for Christ's return. The, the interpretation here is to be seen. Now you got to think about this. You have to interpret this in light of Leviticus chapter 16 where the high priest would atone for the sins of Israel. The high priest on the day of atonement would go into the Holy of Holies once a year with a blood sacrifice to where he would atone for his sins, his household sins, and the sins of the nation of Israel. And when he went into the Holy of Holies, the people of God were like this. They were waiting to see him. Because if he came out again, it proved that God received sacrifice it's no place to mess around was a holy of holies because if that high priest wasn't right he didn't come out the people of Israel would eagerly wait for him to reappear he would assure God's acceptance likewise Jesus Christ having made atonement on the cross went away, not into a tent made with hands, but he went into heaven. And he's going to appear again. Now look at this in Hebrews. Go back, look at verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly await. For Him He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. You get the picture? Oh yeah. He atoned for the sins completely successful. And He's ascended to heaven. And He's going to reappear to those, the many, who are eagerly waiting for Him. And they eagerly wait for Him because they truly know Him. They know Him. They don't just say they know Him, they've been, they're steeped in Him. They have a union with Him, an everlasting union, unbreakable. This is faith that is eager for Him, a living faith. Now, I want to give a warning. Because there's no second chance. When Jesus Christ returns, there will be no amount of I believe, I believe on that day. Because on that day, there's going to be another group of many. Okay, now we have who this many is, right? The many who God's coming back for? There's another group of many. And when Jesus Christ returns in His glory, He said Himself in Matthew chapter 7, On that day when I return, many will cry out that day saying, Lord, Lord! But I will say... Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. I never knew you, although you say you know me. So there's another group of many. There's another group of many who think they know him. So my warning this morning is that the preaching and teaching of God's true word has two effects. It sends conviction to the soul of the unbeliever it builds up and edifies the believer it continually convicts the believer but to the unbeliever it cuts to the depth of the soul it reveals motives intentions in your inability to meet the standard of god that's one effect and the result to that ought to be repentance and true belief the second effect the word of god has as continually taught and one sits under the teaching of god It causes a hardness, callousness. If you're sitting here today and the words that you've heard me speak this morning, you could really care less about, oh, I plead for your soul. If you don't care about the teachings this morning, I plead for your soul, truly. You're hardened. You're becoming calloused. That's why Isaiah said, preach the word. Though they have eyes, they're not going to see. Though they have ears, they're not going to hear unbelief in John chapter 12 it says that they heard and they saw the works of Jesus Christ but but because they would not believe they could not believe they saw the miraculous works of Jesus Christ and they resisted they wouldn't believe the end result was that they were unable to believe that's the judgment of God two effects softness and brokenness humility the other pride arrogance resistance Unbelief. See, Christ's resurrection is the promise guarantee, is the sin bearer of many. And His appearing will be the promise ultimately fulfilled. The glorified saints, sinners saved by grace, brought up into glory. That's the hope. That's the resurrection. That's the power. That's the gospel. Amen? We rejoice over that. If you're not part of the family of God, if you don't have a faith that's eager for Him, I ask you right now, Repent. If you're religious, if you've been sitting in church for years and you think you're okay with God and you know you're being convicted today or not, repent. Let this be the day of salvation that's birthed into your soul because you can't just come to Christ when you want. That's an impossibility. Jesus said, unless a person be born again from above, that means it's God's supernatural work, (coughs) he cannot even see the kingdom. You don't come to Christ when you want. That's impossible impossible it's the initiating work of God and God works and operates by the power of the preaching of his word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so I plead with you today if you're not in Christ am I taking the opportunity to preach the hardcore gospel today yes because I know there will be people here who don't believe absolutely and to better equip the body to understand what the price was that was paid and to better equip you to share the gospel with authority Not Jesus wants to be your buddy. Because we're talking about souls here. We're talking about this judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. This is a hardcore judgment to be cast into everlasting darkness where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is this fire and brimstone? Yeah, it is. But the wrath of God was unleashed upon the Son so that you would have hope. His wrath was satisfied. Jesus became the propitiation of the Father. It means the satisfaction. God is a God of wrath. His wrath will be unleashed. Justice must be upheld. But it was pleasing for the Father to smite the Son. It's the hope. You can die in your own sins. You can pay for your own sins. Or you can bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Him first place in your life and become one of the many in whose sins He bore on the cross. So repent of your unbelief. Repent means to have a change of mind. Step off the throne because if Jesus Christ isn't on the throne of your life, there's only one other person on it. It's you. Step down. Surrender. Submit. If all this head knowledge and that's all it is to you, surrender to that knowledge and submit your life, your soul to Jesus Christ. That's the hope of Easter. That's the hope of glory. That's the power of the resurrection. Do not come here attempting to receive Jesus Christ as some cheap fire insurance policy. There's no such thing, amen? There is no such thing as some insurance policy. When the Twin Towers came crashing down, people went flooding into the churches. You know why? They wanted to make sure they had a fire insurance policy. They wanted to make sure they still had a foot in. They wanted to make sure, am I okay? Is the world coming to an end? Gone. Churches aren't packed like they were on that weekend. This is eternal life insurance meaningful, abundant, everlasting, Christ-honoring life now with the assurance of your salvation. If you bow at the feet of Jesus Christ in the cross. You know why he gives life? Because he is life. He's life because he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead because he's eternal. He's eternal because he's God. That's why. And he bore the sin and gives life to the many, to the many whom was appointed before eternity, before the foundation of the earth, eternity past. All those who were appointed to eternal life will come to saving faith. So the question is, is He calling you today if you don't know him? Is He pounding your heart today if you don't know him? Don't become hardened under the truth. Repent. See, the many who repent and believe... They're granted eternal life. And the many who receive eternal life by repentance and true belief will eventually realize with an assurance that they are one of the many, you see. Because as they abide in Christ and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Bible says His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. He produces in that sinner who submits to them an assurance that I am a child of God. And if that doesn't increase an eager expectation to see Him, nothing will. You won't want to see Him. So I urge you, turn from the world, turn from sin, and turn to Jesus Christ. Because remember, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. That's the finish line. It's the ultimate fulfillment of the atonement home just remember this as I close the ultimate purpose and the ultimate goal of salvation is not that sinful mankind is redeemed and brought back to the Father that's not the goal the ultimate goal of salvation is the glory of God it's for God's glory the means of which is sinners saved by grace by His atoning work that's the means to the end and the end is the glory of God You can't work your way in. you never be good enough. He paid it all. He paid it all. And it's all to Christ we owe. Amen? Amen? Amen. Rejoice in that, believer. You ought to be edified in that. If you're not in Christ today, you ought to feel, be filled with fear and terror. But you have an opportunity right now to repent and call on Jesus Christ in your heart, personally, and submit your very life to Him as we prepare to take communion. Let's pray. Father, we are so ever grateful for the everlasting power of the resurrection as revealed through Scripture. God, I thank you for these dear people. I thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you that we are a group of sinners saved by grace, eagerly awaiting your appearance. We praise you for the hope. We praise you for the grace. And God, I praise you for your wrath that was unleashed upon your Son, the holy substitutionary sacrifice your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray this morning for anyone who's an unbeliever in here today, anyone who has a calloused heart, anyone here who is shaking their head inside at these very words, anyone who's shrugging their shoulders, Lord God, I pray that you convict them to the soul and I pray that you break them of their pride. I pray that you would open and lift the veil of of misunderstanding and give them understanding of the gospel. Please bring them to a place of belief. Please grant them the faith to believe. And may they repent for your glory and your honor. And if you don't know Christ this morning, call on Christ. If you've been going to church for years and you know you don't know Christ according to the scriptures and what they declare, repent right now in your heart. Repent to Jesus Christ. Confess your sin. Turn and submit and surrender to His Lordship for His glory.